In the Gospels, a lot happens on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem that we read about today, and it's where Jesus is walking in the readings we've just heard. Just outside those Jericho walls, Bartimaeus, the otherwise unnamed son of Timaeus, and Bartimaeus just means the son of Timaeus, is sitting on that road and begging. He is not able to see, it says, and he hears that Jesus the Nazarene is passing, so he shouts. Some translate that word as squawks, like a crow, those birds that you hear in the morning, right? Maybe he has a hoarse voice or something like that, a voice tired from crying out for help. Or maybe he has some kind of lingering virus that ruined his eyesight and his voice. We know about those things. Something happened to him that scared his loved ones enough that he is left at the gates of this city and he's begging. Today he shouts out to Jesus and Jesus pauses and listens to that voice. It's a really strange passage, a great story, but a really bizarre passage, I think. People were asking the poor son of Timaeus to be quiet. It's not clear why. From what we hear about Jesus, I'm guessing lots of people shouted after Jesus. There's lots of good reason to shout after Jesus. There must have been something particularly disturbing about how the son of Timaeus did it. Or maybe everyone was just tired of him or embarrassed by him or something more ordinary like that. But they ask the blind man to stop, and he does not. In Mark 10, Jesus has been pretty testy for the whole chapter. And maybe the people that day were just watching him in awe at that point, hoping not to get rebuked like pretty much everyone else had been. We just heard about the rich man and the sons of Zebedee, Jesus has just told people that he is going to die probably soon, and they might as well. So the story's taken a turn from the beginning of Mark, and there on the road is the son of Timaeus squawking away, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, Messiah. Maybe they are afraid that blind Bartimaeus' cry will be the one that leads to Jesus' arrest and death right then in chapter 10, faster than if we could all just be quiet for a little longer. Son of David, he cries out. It's not that Bartimaeus would not have known how scandalous his words were. Our true king and savior, he could have cried out. A blind beggar would have known more than most the danger of a misspoken word in the presence of the wrong person. It must have been the story of his life. But as happens often in the Gospels, the one who we read is unable to see, that seems unable to see, is the one who can see, who cannot resist Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, is the great prayer of the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Jesus Prayer. Many recite it regularly. If you're in an Orthodox service, people are often reciting it right now. As they sit there, it's almost like good luck preacher, right? Jesus, <laughs> Son of God, have mercy on me. Some people do it on beads, kind of like the Hail Mary in the West if you're Catholic. I've heard it as Jesus, Son of God, or Jesus, Son of Mary, have mercy on me. And some add, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
the squawk of the man blinded has become a mantra of hundreds of millions of the faithful throughout the generations, a cornerstone of Christian prayer and meditation. In stories like this, in the Gospels, it's usually a woman or a girl who goes unnamed, and you will remember the one who reaches out to Jesus' cloak seeking healing. This one, it says, throws off his own cloak and hurries, it says, toward that crowd, which he cannot see, and approaches Jesus, who has heard him. Jesus asks him what he wants. Jesus does not assume. I guess it could have been a request to heal his voice from what we've found out so far, or maybe eternal life, or a place in the kingdom of God, as others have just asked, all very, very good things to ask for. He says he wants to see again. He has seen before. Many years ago, John Hull, the British biblical scholar, wrote an article powerfully entitled, and hear this, An Open Letter from a Blind Disciple to a Sighted Savior. I'll say it again. An Open Letter from a Blind Disciple to a Sighted Savior. The title almost says it all, right? You don't have to, you don't have to say much more to kind of know where he's going to go with this. So Professor Hull lost his eyesight as an adult. Having studied the Gospels as a sighted person, he did his PhD and his first years of research as a sighted person, became a person who, through disease, um, had to listen to the Gospels, could no longer read the text. So, and he knew them by then, if you can imagine. And he listened through, and on tape recorders, which you'll have to ask older people what those are. You push some buttons, <laughs> and voices would come out at you of things that were recorded. But he listened to them as a person who could not see and heard them very differently. If you, and you can imagine immediately, as you think of those stories, what that might have been like. So his work emphasizes the world our interpretations of the stories create. So not what the Bible might have meant to the first audiences to hear them, or how we think about those books in terms of how we understand Jesus, but the worlds we create through our imagining, through our living, by how we interpret those readings, what we think they mean. So he hears them differently immediately as a person who cannot see, because people who cannot see are referenced regularly in the text, right? So it is clear that Jesus and his disciples and their listeners think that disability and sickness has to do with sin. They talk about it a lot. Jesus often says, sin no more is part of a healing story. Now, we don't believe that anymore, that physical illness or disability has to do with sin. But we sure do keep reading these lessons, don't we? And we take in these words. It can be like a nagging thought in the back of our heads, or sometimes right out front, right? COVID-19 is a good example. As someone becomes sick, they must have engaged in some risky behavior or something sin-like, right? Are they vaccinated? Did they go to that gathering? Did they do something different or wrong that I would never have done? Maybe more difficult to hear, as we have all heard from friends who have had, who've had a tough medical diagnosis, maybe it was because of something I did or didn't do, right? We've all heard that. Many of us often feel in control of our lives, and that's part of what we're doing in Right 13. We have a lot of responsibility over our lives and the worlds we create. And at times, we feel responsible when things don't go as we have hoped. And we work hard to do the right thing, so it makes sense that things might go as we've hoped. We've tried to prepare. 
And yet, this can also be dangerous thinking. John Hull writes that the Gospels repeat the story of the blind or the sick as weak, as sinful, sometimes as a joke, quite cruel. He writes in his open letter that as an earnest follower of Jesus, and he calls himself a disciple, how can it be that Jesus would not think of his lived experience? He relates it to how women or minorities also question the Bible. Did Jesus really think that we are less than others? Does the Bible say that? So I will confess to you that until I read John Hull in my 20s, and it's one of the few things I remember when I read it, it was so impactful for me, that I didn't think much about what Jesus healed and how that might influence how we think about people who live with those conditions today. The letter concludes by pointing out how many times a lack of sight, darkness that prevents sight, or you will see me no longer, appear in these same Gospels. Once you think to look, there are a few places where truth is revealed, glory is revealed, when it is not possible for anyone to see, particularly on the cross and on the road to Emmaus. Quite a profound shift for people like us who are told Christ is a light, a light to the world, and that we too bear perhaps a blinding light to the world. Which brings me back to the son of Timaeus, whose cracked voice Jesus hears today. Like that rich man at the beginning of chapter 10, remember him? The son of Timaeus does not elegantly kneel. He flings off his cloak and flings his body towards the voice of Jesus. Someone must have helped him to find that right spot. And there the Messiah asks him what he wants and he says to see again. And Jesus grants him his desire and tells him to go. Jesus doesn't invite him to follow, but being bar Timaeus, he does, he can. Just like he had to call out to be seen, he chooses. Life tempts us, all of us, to create our categories of what is good and bad, to rank our neighbors, to thank God for our good luck and even for our good faith. Bartimaeus and Professor Hull remind me to be careful of what I cannot see and assume there is much I cannot see and might not know because I think I can see, including the profound giftedness, the ways of defining and knowing a whole world open to people with abilities different than my own, experiences different than mine and to assume that the world I see might be a gift to others as well. The blind did not necessarily have to be left to beg, you know, but sadly for him, he did. The son of a father is how he is remembered to us, a member of his family, now destitute, taking his shot with Jesus, joining the world of prophets and miracles, challenging us to see a world that includes and values people like him. The church has clung to his words for millennia to express the deepest desires of our hearts. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me.